So I'm thinking about selling an NFT in my butthole. Um, <laughs> right on. <laughs> it gets the biggest middle finger to capitalism. And, uh, you know, my ass is the only way my make me rich researching this i did legitimately think about making an nft that was just like this is stupid and this has no value and just like that being just like a square image that's poorly made that says that and then seeing if i could sell a hundred of those for like a hundred bucks each um but yeah thank you for that wonderful intro idea <laughs> <laughs> This is weeks when podcasts happen. Uh, we are talking today about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which sound ridiculous when you say them out loud like that. Um, but yeah, they are really absurd and interesting. And as an artist and a Marxist, I have a lot to say about them. Uh, but first, I'm joined by Greg again. Greg, we do get two listeners sometimes. So do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Greg. I'm in Maryland currently. I do nothing of any particular interest. I just, Ian just keeps bringing me on to talk about things. Just really building yourself up there. Uh, hey everybody, I'm Ian. Uh, you see him pronouns and I'm in Detroit and I write the outlines and then ask Greg to come up with organic intros uh, and he obliges. <laughs> so yeah, basically we're talking about NFTs because they've been in the news. Uh, they're very exciting, very, very fresh, very new. Um, an artist called Beeple sold uh, a $69 million digital piece of artwork um, using NFTs. Uh, corporations are minting these online coins. Some of them are sports clips. Some of them are just essentially like little like cards with some sort of corporate event on them. Um, there are artists making trading cards, kind of like Magic the Gathering, but totally digital. Lots of artists have suddenly been making huge sales using these, these coins. So this whole new field of crypto art. Bitcoin has been super cool and hip for a while and a bunch of people made money. I'm going to start saying more words and make me sound like I'm ancient. But basically NFTs have come out as this new way to sell artwork um, that we're going to try to explain. Um, so bear with us. This first part's going to be a little bit just sort of like, what the fuck are these? And then we're going to dive into like what the implications of uh, these becoming more popular are. But yeah, what the fuck are NFTs? Basically, they are a thing called a non-fungible token. This is essentially an item that cannot be exchanged for another or broken up. Um, there are a limited number. Um, and if you have a specific one, it is not equatable to any other. And basically, yeah, an NFT is a, is a digital item whose authenticity is verified using this technology called the blockchain. Uh, most folks at this point have heard of Bitcoin. Um, it's basically, just to do a quick summary, uh, an example of a digital ledger. Uh, this is essentially a open source uh, list of like the transactions that have uh, happened on a, any, any one of these Bitcoins. Uh, that you can then verify that it is an original real one as opposed to a copy or a digital replica that would have no value. And this is a way to keep like, for, with Bitcoin, it's a way to keep it from just basically people printing money and destroying the value. With NFTs, it's a way to uh, track the original nature of that digital piece. It's, uh, yeah, basically it's uh, the technology is a public ledger that anyone can access and that is constantly being like checked in on by a series of computers, uh, a huge series of computers, to make sure that it is the real item. And so it allows you to have sort of like these unique things that can be bought and sold that can't just be replicated online. And so NFTs are a little bit different than Bitcoin in that instead of being like a bunch of coins that can be traded or a bunch of uh, like essentially a currency, they are each unique items. Uh, so like, for example, if you have a image, uh, you may make 30 NFTs of that image. And these NFTs are essentially the verifiable unique copy of that image um, different than if you just like copy and pasted it on your desktop these are the official originals and like for example number 19 out of that series is not the same as number 25 so the difference there is like a bitcoin would be any bitcoin is exchangeable for any other bitcoin whereas these any each of these items is a specific unique like X number of a series or completely unique item that you're buying. I, as an artist, think about it a little bit like when a printmaker does an addition as opposed to just printing as many as they can of an image. They do an addition of like X number and then they number those and you can buy one of those prints. Um, and that increases the value of each print because they're not just going to like 
try and make as many as possible. And so essentially they become digital ownable items in a way that just a file isn't. Um, Greg, am I making sense there? How, how am I doing on that like kind of overall summary? Yeah, no, that, that was pretty good. I think the only other thing, Bitcoin's blockchain exists solely to keep record of those financial tractions or transactions of Bitcoin versus with these NFTs, they exist on other blockchains that might do other things. And then there's an NFT somewhere in there. Can you explain that a little bit more? What are you you kind of saying there's an NFT somewhere in there? Yeah, so like the, an NFT, like it's literally just like a transaction. I see it like the blockchain is just like a a ledger of transactions. So when you say transfer ownership of an NFT, then that will appear in that blockchain based on whatever uh, metrics they they already use. But the rest of the transaction before that might have been somebody. uh, It it literally could be anything. Somebody giving their friend a book could be a a transaction on the blockchain, like no money exchange, just the book is now in their possession. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. So it's like, are you are you saying that either like there is a blockchain that is being used for multiple things, or are you saying that there's just not currency being exchanged in NFT's case? Right. Yeah. There, or the the first one, there's a blockchain being used for multiple things. I think a lot of the NFTs that have been exchanged have been on Ethereum uh, blockchain, which does also have like a money portion of it where people are exchanging like Ethereum for uh, fiat currencies, but also there's Ethereum that has been, uh, there's like parts of the blockchain that are used for like keeping track of website visitors or different things like that. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So it's like essentially a technology that's being used uh, in the case of NFTs for multiple things, unlike Bitcoin, where there's a whole dedicated blockchain specifically for Bitcoin and NFTs are more part of an overall picture that's being run on different uh, blockchain technologies. Right. Cool. So basically what we're looking at today is a little bit like how these are being used. Um, there's some big examples I kind of named off the top. Some of the really big ones that folks probably have heard about are like um, the different sports leagues selling NFTs of a moment. Uh, so like the big example we heard um, on some program we were listening to was like a LeBron dunk was being sold, like a little clip of that as an NFT. Um, folks have sold like yeah different video or audio moments as NFTs. And then, yeah, there's a lot uh, around like some like trading card stuff, essentially uh, at the corporate level, like a little card that commemorates something or at the artist, more like individual artist level, selling artwork as sort of like a series of collectible cards. This is very well suited to that since it's kind of additioning in the same way cards and trading cards hold value. It's because you're not just printing as many as possible. But a big one that everyone's kind of talking about because of the giant prices that some of these artworks have been gathering is the art world. And basically, uh, the art world has been very interesting with NFTs. So again, diving a little bit in here, since NFTs can create uh, unique digital items, this kind of for the first time has allowed digital artists to enter the world of quote unquote fine art, um, high value sales in the same way uh, as many other artists like fine art painters or sculptors that digital artists really couldn't before. Prior to NFTs, digital artists uh, were making artwork that was by its very nature, nature very highly reproducible. Literally, like just copy and paste. You know, all of us have downloaded an image from the internet. Um, and so digital artists, if they were posting a high resolution copy of their artwork online or publicly, uh, by their very nature, those artworks were very easily viewed and copied and redistributed. There's some pros there. But one of the cons is that it's hard to get paid if your artwork can be seen for free and can be easily replicated. (laughs) And so you can't really sell in the same way like Starry Night as a painting could be sold for a huge amount of money theoretically um, because there's only one Starry Night no matter how many photos you take of it. Digital artwork was different because it was kind of the photo was what you were selling from the get-go and it wasn't even like a print of a photo. It was like literally the digital item on your computer. So NFTs have allowed... uh, these artists to create a set number of like original files of a given artwork that are sold um, and can then kind of create scarcity and accumulate value in a way that's very typical through supply and demand dynamics in the art world, or some might say speculation dynamics, but we'll get into that in a bit. (laughs) And so, yeah, other bonuses as part of this have been like, uh, since there's a 
Uh, these are totally digital transactions. They can also code things into the transactions. And since they can follow who's owning a piece as it goes automatically, um, one of the things they've coded in is a percentage. Uh, it's pretty standard for artists to have a royalty on subsequent sales. So if their artwork skyrockets in value, the artist can still see a part of uh, that increase. So if they sell a piece for $10,000 and 10 years later it sells for $5 million because whatever reason, um, they could still benefit from that increase. It wouldn't just be the collector who made all that money. So there's some positives here, like uh, getting digital artists paid, uh, tracking the ownership of an item to make sure that it's uh, the actual thing. Like there's ways in which this technology can be used non-digitally to just make sure that like, you know, kind of like a, a certificate of authenticity. You track every transaction in the blockchain. You make sure that the item you're holding in your hands is real. We're kind of looking at the digital piece here, but there's some positives to this sort of idea of NFTs. And yeah, allowing potentially also multiple people to get paid off of a single project. Again, since the transaction is in the form of a digital contract, one of the things that people have been touting is that you can write in multiple beneficiaries of those royalties. Um, if there's three artists uh, who collaborate, maybe one of them gets 5% and the other two get like two and a half percent of future sales. So there's, there's some benefits people have been lifting up and like the ability for artists to sell high value artwork outside of a gallery system um, and potentially keep more of that money for themselves. Um, has also been has also been really touted but i think like one of the things that i want to step back into here or step back and look at here is like what are you actually buying when you buy an nft and what are you actually selling when you sell an nft uh and, th and the truth is that when you look at these contracts and you look at these items what you're pretty much buying and selling is a digital object called an nft if it's a sports clip like the like there have been these big sales around like espn and stuff you do not own the rights to broadcast the clip that you bought. You don't earn the right to earn royalties from it. You don't own the clip itself. Uh, ownership is totally retained by the, the originator. Generally, the video isn't even coded into the blockchain, uh, specifically with like larger it files, because that would be incredibly energy intensive to uh, keep track of. So it's more like a token that, I, that like references the video. And so essentially what you own at the end of that transaction is a digital object called sports video NFT. If you buy an artwork, you don't own the, own the right to distribute that artwork. You don't own the right to uh, display that artwork publicly outside of your home. You don't own the, uh, the right to reproduce that artwork. You don't own the copyright or ownership in any way. Again, you own the right to own an NFT. Uh, you own this digital token that says, I got one of these things. So essentially what it boils down to is they've sort of created what amount to a series of uh, complex, but at their base level, like trading cards with a variety of themes. Um, in the same way, trading cards don't give you a right to like the likeness of Peyton Manning or somebody like that. They're just like an image of Peyton Manning being like, he's cool. I don't know why he's Peyton Manning. I kind of kind of hate him. But uh, but yeah, basically you don't, you, the value becomes just on essentially the fact that people want to own NFTs. And yeah, they're, but, they're, but the sort of way they're being bought and sold right now and the way the artworks are being bought and sold is a little bit more traditionally, like the value, people valuing them as like ownership of a moment or of an artwork or of an event when actually it's really just ownership of this token. Yeah. How, how is it, how is this sounding so far, Greg? Are there other, other thoughts you want to draw out here or parts that really stick out to you as you've looked at this more? Yeah. I think the disconnect between this as a technology and then this is like a legal entity or a legal thing, right? There's, you know, in the, in the case of the NBA clips, it would be possible to sell an NFT where you would have the actual rights to, you know, broadcast and do these things, but that's not what's being sold, right? People are just selling this, the this digital asset versus selling the rights and everything that comes with that. And I think that really just takes smarter consumers to be like, oh no, I need the whole package. But then it becomes more, it makes this whole thing more grounded, right? Like right now, NFTs are selling for like, you know, multiple millions of dollars because they're, they're being sold on the idea of an NFT as a technology. But if you were actually, would you still buy an NBA clip for $1 million if the NBA itself had only made, uh, you know, $1,000 on broadcasting it before you got it, right? And then just the whole idea of like, it's kind of this weird idea of like, what is ownership? And I was not really thinking about how, like, what are the actual benefits of ownership, right? Like it's, it's to be able to, pro like when you think of Jeff Bezos 
owning uh, Amazon and he gets the profit, you know, billions of dollars versus like you owning an Amazon stock. You're not you're, you're owning a percentage of what that looks like. And this just takes it a step further being like, I own it without actually, it's, it's almost like owning the country, right? Like you own, you live and you are an American and you pay taxes, but you're not really seeing the benefit of any. It's a grim example. But yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Like, yeah, that I think that they could be written differently. But I think also you bring up the idea of like, if that clip were actually selling you the right to distribute and earn royalties from it, it would also cost probably much more, like, especially like a spe- some of the special clips they've been selling. Like if you have like a, a climactic moment of a NBA finals, then it would probably sell for much more if you then forever have the right to exclusive uh, royalties and display rights to that moment in perpetuity. And I think that like that would totally shift this market again. If you actually rewrote some of those things, I think it might actually, uh, it might totally collapse the value because no one would be able to afford it. (laughs) Or it might create an even more ultra rich sort of sphere of folks buying and selling what are essentially just then intellectual property rights. Then it's not necessarily a new technology. It's just sort of allowing people to buy something they've always been able to buy if they had enough money. Like you were always able to go to ESPN or, you know, somebody with a lot of money could go to ESPN and be like, I want to buy the rights to this. And ESPN could choose to sell it or not. Um, But if you gave them enough money, I'm probably, I'm sure they would sell it to you. Um, But so, yeah, I think like reattaching it to that concrete value would be, would be very, a very different thing. Yep. (laughs) Are we good to, are we good to move forward into the, the Marxism bit or we're teetering on the edge of it? yeah we're we're good to move forward okay and so yeah like as we're talking about this uh i'm gonna try to talk slower because i get excited about this part um but as we're talking about this one of the things that's coming up is sort of this uh this contradiction uh between the uh ownership of uh an item and buying and selling that ownership and the actual enjoyment or uh rights of that ownership um so uh, the the um, the ability to look at a piece of artwork, um, to own it and have it in your home, uh, to be the the one who kind of has exclusive right to that, which has been traditionally conferred by purchasing in the real world. With NFTs, doesn't really exist. And so you have people buying and selling. To get back to our example of artwork, buying and selling the right to own an NFT, while everybody in the world can still see, trade, and enjoy the artwork for free. Um, on the side. And there's, you know, good things potentially there if you want the artwork to remain freely visible. It's bad things if you want (laughs) the thing you bought to have a lot of concrete value. And so this kind of brings up a a Marxist concept that I think is really interesting. And it's basically that commodities as the basic building block of capitalism are sort of divided into two spheres. And these spheres are use value and exchange value. So use value is the value that you, you gain by consuming a commodity. So if you have a bowl of apples, if you eat them, that's the use value. You got the food out of it or the energy out of it. You uh, made sure you got your re- your uh, vitamins and you're feeling good, uh, but you can't then sell it. And so the exchange value is the value gained by uh, by trading or selling the item. And so each, each commodity that we interact with in our lives sort of is like torn by these twin values where we have the potential to continue possessing it, to continue using it, to continue consuming it or we have the potential to trade it. And all commodities sort of exist under this tension. One of the key dynamics of capitalism, as opposed to previous forms of economic management of a society, is the dominance of exchange value over almost any over uh, use value. The whole system of capitalism is built on the pursuit of capital. That is the profit that you realize when you sell uh, the the goods that you produced, um, or the, more likely the goods that your workers have produced if you're, uh, if you're a capitalist. And so that within capitalism, it becomes less about producing things that you personally need, and it becomes more about producing things that the market will buy. And that is, rather than preferencing use value in, your, in a productive process, you're preferencing exchange value. Few of us sit around all day making our own clothes, utensils, toys, like building our house, yeah, we, we do small projects to save ourselves money, but we're not, it's rare that we live as many, like the vast majority of our ancestors lived, which is exchanging some goods, but also producing a, a huge uh, portion of the, the goods and services that we use on the day to day. And so we spend most of our time trading our commodities. For most of us, that's our labor power in exchange for other commodities, uh, in particular money to buy shit. 
And so within capitalism, we have this near complete dominance of exchange value. And that's where a lot of these capitalist crises come from. Um, if you're only making something uh, believing that you can trade it, if we don't even really interrogate why it's useful, if we just believe that someone will buy it, maybe have some evidence they will buy it, what happens when they stop buying it? Or what happens when so many people see that same thing, like MP3 players, some people launched some MP3 players, they made a bunch of money selling them, then everybody made MP3 players. And then uh, the price of MP3 players dropped so much that maybe you have this issue where you can't sell the MP3 player you made at a profit because there's just too many on the marketplace and there's not enough demand for them anymore. And so you have these contradictions where you're, since you weren't producing something that you, uh, for use value, you're producing it for exchange value, you potentially produce so much of a thing that it becomes useless or that it be actually becomes detrimental to the people that produced it and that the value can then drop. And there's there's a bunch of, of discussion there then around like how capitalist crises emerge. But to bring us back to NFTs, they're a highly interesting thing when you think about them in Marxist terms, because essentially an NFT represents not just the dominance of exchange value, but it's complete separation from use value. The NFT has no value other than the values that others will trade for it. Um, it's unlike even Bitcoins in that it can be traded for other <laughs> NFTs. It's theoretically a unique item. You do not own the, the intellectual property or the right to display, um, as we had mentioned before. Almost all NFT content can be viewed freely online by their very nature as digital artworks. And so essentially uh, you have a sphere of commodities that doesn't really have a use value other than ownership. <laughs> like you just own it and then you buy and sell it. Or then you can either buy more or sell it uh, to somebody else who also values the right to own it. But you, it does not confer any, confer any actual use values. And there's some complexities in there. I think folks could argue that like there are uh, cultural caches that come from ownership, specifically within a capitalist economy. And there's, there's some positives there that you can argue for. But in terms of a material analysis of the economy, you're essentially buying the abstract idea of ownership and nothing more. And I think that that's a really weird place for us to be, to be going into. And I think it's a weird place to be really celebrating as some folks are. And I think it's a really interesting place, uh, again, for the art world to be going. Because for years, there's been this, the art world has been this kind of strange alternative universe, uh, at the, especially at the upper level. This effectively functioned as a place to hide from taxes or launder money. <laughs> there's, to be sure, a lot of cultural uh, discussion and engagement going on at these upper levels. But when we hear about the vast quantities of money that paintings and sculptures, et cetera, are being bought and sold for, there is a lot of tax law that is written to make sure that people can hide huge amounts of money in the art world and then get it back and avoid taxes on that money. Um, it's also a way to launder money that may have been gained by less than legal means. And so over time, like even before NFTs, the art world was evolving um, specifically at the top level into the fact that it needed an artwork to be expensive more than it needed it to really be anything else. And so like as artworks became more about being investments than about being cultural objects, this kind of pushed this trend for like new and original artworks that could be value where their value could be properly inflated to um, allow some of these uh, capital dynamics to work. And, and that really being valued over the quality or enjoyment of the artwork and that there's still high quality artwork being made. I'm not trying to argue that there isn't, but I think that there's this interesting trend that was already happening in the art world where the exchange value was already sort of eclipsing the use value. People would buy a, buy a piece, put it in their collection, never look at it, sell it years later. The other person wouldn't look at it. And essentially you were creating kind of NFTs, but in a uh, roundabout way. And with a lot of extra steps, we had to have like appraisers decide that it actually was a Van Gogh painting or something like that. Whereas with NFTs, you, the art world can now abandon this slow moving exchange of physical items and replace it with an instantaneous online marketplace of speculation <laughs> where the, the artwork itself can be rapidly in, in a day moved between multiple owners, all verified that it is quote unquote, the artwork, despite the fact that it's really just a token of ownership. And the art market, uh, obsessed with originality and ownership, can now abandon the actual possession of artwork <laughs> in exchange for the possession of just abstract ownership tokens or NFTs. And that's just sort of from a Marxist standpoint, as I said, and from like an artist standpoint, it's, it's a very wild place to just kind of openly abandon the artwork and turn towards just the trading of speculative ownership as the entire purpose of the sphere. Greg, how's it sound to you? You've got some other pieces of this that were very interesting to you. So 
the idea of like use versus uh, what you what you say use versus exchange value. Exchange value is like one. I, I think we see it everywhere. Like, I mean, like like you said, it's, it's everywhere in capitalist systems. Uh, even just like from where we're from, where I'm from, Detroit, where you have you know acres on acres of land owned by people who have no intention to do anything useful or add it, even add any value to the land. They're just sitting on it so that they can exchange it at some point later when someone else is determined like they have a better use than, than that. It was even then is just like another way to pull money from people who actually create value and put it in the hands of people who just kind of just have money to accumulated right well honestly when i first started seeing nfts go crazy i was like it sounds like they're just buying things to brag about right like there's no like the jack dorsey sold the first tweet which was his tweet and it's like why why would i want that like even beyond like any like i, I literally cannot find a use for owning the first tweet like they are <laughs> there are millions and billions of them which are way more interesting, way more informative. Like, if nothing else, have like their own intrinsic value. And this is literally just like a tool for. I feel like people to just kind of brag to each other to say that they have it, um, and then you know maybe later on say that they sold it and it was a good investment because they were able to sell it for you know some millions more, right? I'm curious. Like, I mean, I know that like because he owns like stock in Twitter, like he's got he's like a millionaire billionaire. But I'm wondering like if his first tweet might have been a better investment than starting Twitter. Uh, I would love to see somebody like figure that out, do the numbers on that. But yeah, there's even thinking about like the way that the art world works of like people who have private collections and which like aren't to me. Uh, and I, I struggle back and forth with this. I think art is important. I don't think it's the most important thing, but like the value in art to me is the fact that like it evokes emotions and feelings and like gets people to think. Uh, and it's it's best. I feel like it's best enjoyed as a group. But to like buy art and put it up in your private collection, or put it, you know, underground somewhere, put insurance on it where nobody can touch it, kind of makes it in my mind lose value, right? Like maybe it makes those experiences and those feelings more rare. But is that the purpose? Is that its initial purpose? And like by you know hoarding those that those feelings experience don't you I feel like you you devalue it and then yeah I'm also curious like just in comparing like the fine art world to NFTs which I feel like I mean they're that's kind of how it is right now like I'm when I think of fine art I think of not just like like you said there was a whole process and now there was a lot of money in that process though right you had the appraisers the collectors the you know people rich people not only to buy their art but then put insurance on it which then makes its own money or can be a big payout at some point uh they loan out their art to museums and get tax write-offs for the value of you know allowing the museum to write to rent that art and in my mind like <laughs> a capitalist wouldn't just let this all this free money if we're, if we're gonna like i feel like there's, there's this weird thing in technology where we first go to like the easiest step and then we roll it back to then add in all the old systems that made it inefficient in the first place. But because we're making those systems efficient, it's almost it's seen as a win. So I'm curious on like, when is the NFT insurance going to come in? Because there are already people getting their NFT stolen. And when are the NFT appraisers going to start popping up? Or like how we're actually creating value and where value creation actually exists in this space. Yeah, and I think that like, what we're kind of touching on here is a sort of, because I think there's different concepts of value. I think like a capitalist economist would argue that the fact that people value it and that there is a demand for it, that is what value is. And I think that there's a contradiction that lies in that because with something as ethereal as some of this, like uh, people could suddenly decide that they don't care <laughs> about NFTs and then there would be nothing to fall back on other than like the value of those. Like there's any number of failed uh, trading card games that never increased in value. But I think that there's sort of this contradiction that exists within capitalism uh, because we produce so many things that actually would be more useful 
if they were shared. <laughs> so many like things like, uh, I mean, you can go all the way down to healthcare, uh, but yeah, also just like items, like you don't need to stare at a painting 24 seven by yourself. Um, that like, that'd be a weird goal when you bought a painting. Ideally you would want other people to see it or that there was more social value to it being shared. Um, but because we have uh, a private ownership model, there's all these, yeah, it essentially creates this dynamic where we then have to work backwards to try to come up with a way that people can see those things, but then you can still make a profit or your ownership is somehow still valued. Like, yeah, I mean, that is the whole point argument that socialists and Marxists make about capitalism is that it is a social production uh, system that also, or because everything is touched by tens of thousands of workers by the time it reaches most people as a commodity. Um, that, uh, but then at the end of that, we have a private uh, system of ownership and that all these ridiculous contradictions come from us trying to apply private ownership to things that are more effectively socially run and administered and enjoyed. Um, and art's, I think, a great example of that because yeah, like when, how much do you get out of having a painting uh, in your room? Do you feel superior? Okay, like for like the 4% of psychopaths that need to exclusively be the only one who ever sees their painting, um, that's cool. But for everyone else, like, I don't know, as an artist, I like, I have to sell individual paintings. I want people to enjoy them. And I'm, I'm excited that people want to buy my paintings. I would much rather like just have a pretty decent, like standard, like $20 an hour for my effort painting and then have my artwork be freely available for folks to enjoy in a more like distributed way. I think that there's sort of this, yeah, like I'm just, I think just circling around to the idea that there's this, a lot of contradictions that come out of trying to have people individually own things that are more effectively socially administered. Yeah. And then like talking about uh, well, first off, also like I remember growing up, and like in a lot of like TVs and cartoons, and anytime somebody would start a business on, and like tell me if you remember this, but they would always say like, if you build it, they will come. Uh, this idea that like, oh, if you just like make make a thing, it doesn't matter what the thing is. Like, if you care about it, somebody will show up and pay you for that thing. Without ever thinking like, is the thing valuable? What's the price that I need to put on the thing? Like, how does this all fit into like the grander scheme? So there's that piece of that, that what you said brought up, but also like the whole idea in my mind, like the power of Bitcoin originally, like now people are like, oh, it's an investment. You put your money in and, you know, you buy a Bitcoin and the next day it's worth, you know, a thousand dollars more, two thousand, six thousand dollars more. But like the whole idea of Bitcoin in the beginning uh, and why like a lot of people jumped in early was like, it challenged the idea of like what this money works, right? Uh, right now they're like this. <laughs> there's like the Federal Reserve. It's some like they they do some pie in the sky numbers or math that nobody, but they know what it actually means. It, it determines like whether our money is worth anything, uh, and just the idea that we don't actually Bitcoin came in with like the idea that we actually need those things. Like we determine the value of this thing and like the value, like the value changes. And I think NFTs are challenging that. The problem is like where Bitcoins, when it came out, there weren't, you know, we we didn't have the top three companies on the, the NASDAQ or the Fortune 500 were tech companies. It was still like old school, like manufacturing companies. Now you've got Mark Cuban who's willing to throw down 20, 30 million just because he likes the idea of like watching the world burn and like throwing, you know, value into something that I, I bet you could probably ask Mark Cuban. He probably doesn't really think this thing is explicitly valuable. He probably thinks there's intrinsic value in just the whole idea because now we've got people, you know, more people who are willing to like bet on things. Like it's not really going to affect their day to day life. It's creating this like weird market. Uh, where people I don't actually know what's going on, but they feel like it's a gold rush. Yeah, I think you could almost describe it as like venture capital for bullshit. Like there's sort of like so much excess capital at the very top of our system right now. Folks who have a lot of excess capital that are willing to just sort of like throw it around and just be like, yeah, fuck, who cares? And that's sort of like, it looks like the venture capital model, you know, like Uber's never made a cent, but people just keep throwing them money. Um, and this is sort of like a much less intentional form of that, where just people being like, yeah, fuck, who cares? Let's just throw some money out there. Um, and, um, 
mess with people essentially. And like, just, yeah, maybe I hit it big and make a bunch of money again. I mean, Bitcoin was laughed at initially. If I don't hit it big, I've still got this giant pile of money. And, and I think uh, another piece we had here was just sort of like the, who is buying this? You kind of touched on that there of um, like that there are kind of different markets for NFTs right now. Like who do you like, as, you, as we've been digging through this, who have you seen like kind of like as big groups of folks who are buying these things? Yeah. So right now for, what I've seen is the first wave is like the Mark Cubans of the world who are like billionaires and it's kind of like, they like the idea, they like the technology, they're like, why not, right? Um, let's like throw throw it out there and see what sticks. And again, like you said, like I'm, I'm still gonna be rich at the end of the day. The people who are interested in the technology, the people who are interested in like where the art world is going and like, what does that look like? And how do we get in on that? And then I think this will be the next wave where like the market manipulators where like we can get in, we have enough money to make things happen and then get out. And we, we kind of understand it enough to get out when or how money moves, how people think to get out. And then I think the fourth wave will be uh, the same people who, who jumped in late on GameStop ended up losing thousands of dollars. Like the people are like, don't, under, don't really understand the technology, don't really understand the psychology or the money behind it. Where like we've seen people make millions and so we're gonna jump in and also make millions but then they'll be left holding the bag they're gonna be those secondary market people who really don't who who unfortunately will be you know out of thousands of dollars i mean if they had millions of dollars i would hope they'd be uh more careful with it but they'll be they'll, people will be out of thousands of dollars trying to catch a wave that was never made for them it's a weird eclectic mix of investors, like you're saying right now. There's, yeah, a kind of mixture of people who are like, I like the NBA. And people who are like, I like blockchain technology and will do anything that blockchain technology does. And then you got folks who are just trying to make money, some of whom get it, some of whom really are just like following internet trends. I think there's this other piece here that we can really see operating with these. And just with this overall dynamic is this sort of idea of the necessity of scarcity for markets to function. And essentially these are an attempt to reintroduce scarcity into the digital sphere that really has been uh, in some ways like independent of scarcity. I mean, we've kind of like spent, like you and I have spent most of our lives watching corporations try to stop the digital sphere from doing the thing it's really best at, which is freely copying and pasting and distributing information. Like the idea that you could essentially for no energy input, make another copy of a book, a song, a movie, a schematic, um, rest in peace, LimeWire, <laughs> rest in peace, Napster, uh, rest in peace, you know, BitTorrent. Yeah, and, and how ineffective those efforts were to stop those things in some ways. Like it took, like corporations usually when they don't like something can shut it down with a lawsuit. Um, but like something so distributed was so effective at sharing uh, that the need to create scarcity in order to create value for uh, corporations or for, for people in general, I mean, individuals make money off their music too, what just became this huge side project of waste of like essentially working against what the technology was best at in order to make sure that profit could be made rather than maybe examining how you actually value art, um, potentially having artists and or artistic production being valued more as labor as opposed to this sort of like individualist genius where yeah like i said like maybe having people get paid for the work they put in and having us value that work in uh sort of a aggregate sense more than as a piece by piece would allow yeah more if if artists were getting paid and potentially we could do that through like some sort of centralized model um we wouldn't have to worry about whether their music would be uh or it was being shared for free and in fact it might be better if their music was being shared for free for them because then more people would see it and more people would engage with their art and i think most artists want people to engage with their art and so yeah we just sort of see this dynamic of capitalism i think kind of like you said like working like there's a technological innovation that sort of like breaks up a bunch of stuff and then capitalism has to spend a bunch of time figuring out how to make money off of it and control it and essentially destroy some of the most like useful and powerful parts of it in order to bring it under control and then somebody as we've seen for the last couple of decades, goes like right next to that and does something else that sort of breaks part of it. And it's sort of been this like capitalist catch-up cycle. 
that I imagine like you're saying will happen with NFTs as well. And we can, I mean, you can see corporations, you know, Taco Bell's got an NFT suddenly. <laughs> They're already got their paws on stuff, but people act as though this is the most effective, effective, efficient system. And instead it's spending its time figuring out how to keep people from sharing music that it's theoretically you want everyone to hear. Feeling good about that? Yeah, no, I feel great about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, I think we're, we're coming closer to our end of the end here. Um, I think another thing we want to touch on was the massive energy drain. This is, a, some people are citing this as the biggest problem. There's there's chances that like these technologies do become more efficient with time, though part of the nature of blockchain keeps it from being as efficient. It might be best to have you, Greg, kind of share what, what makes blockchain so inefficient. Uh, yeah, the way the blockchain works right now, or the way some blockchains work is that there is basically blockchain, like a computer does an equation. Part of the inputs of that equation are from the previous uh, block in the chain. So when it does that equation, there's only one right answer, but nobody knows the right answer. Uh, and it's based on the previous answer, right? The previous solution and uh, equation. So to do that, like be, that's what kind of makes it secure is that it's so hard to then replicate that because you need to then replicate every block in the chain to be able to fake uh, a new block. So to for that to happen, it takes like a lot of computing power of just honestly useless computing of trying to like solve this equation thousands of times until it just happens to get the right answer. Um, so that's kind of where the energy intensiveness of it comes is that you need to, people then make these supercomputers that are able to do these thousands of equa equations in seconds, but it's again, very energy intensive and then just a lot of wasted effort. Uh, with NFTs now people, before it was like people were making trans dollar transactions, right? So it wasn't so bad because people were trying to, like, you know, people aren't on the regular sending a hundred thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin. So you only get like so many equations happening at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, now with NFTs, people are, you know, everybody's trying to make an NFT now. So now you've got equations that are being, you know, run just, just because somebody's trying to make an NFT. Uh, and then, you know, the boom of is more and more people getting onto it uh, adds to that. So that's kind of where that energy intensiveness comes in. Yeah. So you sort of like what you're saying is it's like the spiral of the like Bitcoin technology that is used to buy NFTs as well as just like to run itself that's already been sort of the spiral of increasing computing power, essentially just going to solving these math problems to prove that the Bitcoins are real. And then on top of that, you have NFTs, which are using a similar technology of the blockchain, but are uh, doing it around uh, just static items um, and their trades. And then you have on top of that, more and more people making their own NFTs and sort of an explosion in the marketplace uh, that has a huge upfront energy cost to kind of create the initial math equation and start that process. Um, and so you have like an issue of inefficiency in the process, uh, escalating scale in the uh, Bitcoin uh, realm, and then massively es escalating scale in the NFT realm. And so between all three of those, all of them with their inefficiencies, uh, you have this massive use of energy uh, and, and, and greenhouse, greenhouse gases being produced. Um, right at the time when the planet is already not doing great and every country on earth is failing to meet any sort of thing approaching its uh, climate goals. Um, I don't think there's too much more to say on that. I think there's a chance that people make these equations more efficient or come up with new ways to do this. I, I think I'm more interested personally in like the, the fact that capitalism persists and therefore the contradictions of capitalism will likely persist. I think technology can be improved and we've seen that under, uh, under capitalism in the last 50 years, certainly with computing power. So there's, there's chances there, but I think it is, this is an inopportune time to suddenly have the most energy inefficient way to uh, trade currency and uh, trading cards. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the other piece we had here uh, that'll kind of bring us into the broader wide-eyed uh, expectations. Um, and, and you listened to this a little bit too in, in this NPR episode uh, called like what the NFT or what's an, what the non-fungible token. Um, but they interviewed an artist, Krista Kim, uh, who talked about producing a digital house 
and and it, it was an interesting interview. I'll try to keep this short, but I think that there's like capitalism and the internet have some serious issues. Uh, the internet is potentially, as I said, one of these like really collaborative social tools that could like really allow humans to reach a new level of sharing organization, and it, and it has in some ways. But we're constantly being held back by these this need to have private ownership and to have somebody make a profit off of these exchanges. And yeah, essentially like digital space is kind of at odds with these ideas of individual private ownership and exclusive rights. And it has to kind of, we have to work back against that. The interesting slash horrible thing about NFTs is they create this potential uh, for an internet with possessions. And this is something that uh, the uh, this, this young art, or this artist on uh, the NPR episode put out there. But I see the NFT as the ultimate art medium, the supreme art medium of human civilization. So I saw that it's a very limited parameter of just posting a picture or, or a video and then selling that one, one piece. I thought, well, I want to look beyond that. And in fact, um, I'm, I know for a fact that we are going to be living an augmented reality lifestyle within a couple of years. Um, there's technology, a 5G technology, a confluence of, you know, the, the widespread adoption of 5G. And then you have uh, app like Superworld. Superworld is basically um, an app that has completely created an AR interface of the entire planet. So you can go on Superworld and purchase uh, real estate virtually and then actually populate your virtual space with 3D digital assets. And these 3D digital assets will be the NFTs of the future. So in case you didn't totally catch that, basically what she's saying is that there already are places where you can buy virtual real estate. There's, there, there have been people who digitally replicated the entire globe um, and allow you to buy real estate within that globe. Um, what NFTs potentially allow you to do is not only have uh, the ownership of like digital real estate um, in these virtual worlds, but also potentially have digital items that you're buying and selling. Um, and those digital items, like, I don't know, uh, there's a bunch of different things. Like I think Thingiverse is one where people just have freely available 3D digital models of items right now that you can use for videos, for, for video games, whatever you're making. Um, and this would potentially create a world where you could accumulate property that is by definition almost totally freely available but as an nft it isn't real unless it's got an nft attached to it you know like it's not a real digital lamp in your digital home unless you've bought it using a uh this ownership model of an nft and so it kind of creates this weird zone for capital to expand into the digital sphere in a way that is entirely unnecessary, like how many virtual worlds have existed um, that are either like, you know, for a monthly subscription fee to pay for the servers, but like not necessarily making, you're not uh, buying a bunch of stuff. Well, I guess EA does microtransactions. So that's fun for EA. But yeah, essentially there's this weird dark future potentially where rich people find another place to uh, create value, quote unquote, or to invest their money that isn't into healthcare, that isn't into improving people's lives. It's not into housing, into food, any, any of the many problems that our world faces, but it becomes literally about owning imaginary things in an imaginary world uh, rather than investing in those things. And that's sort of being a contradiction that comes out of the need to have private ownership in a social productive system or in a social sphere. Yeah, I just, that, that listening to that interview sort of just fucked with my head. And in general, I think there's like a weird trend of like utopianism that comes with any of these new technologies where it's like the internet was supposed to make everything better, but we didn't solve capitalism. NFTs are supposed to make everything better, but we're not solving capitalism. Um, yeah, how was that engaging? Like, Greg, you're not so much of a visual artist, so maybe it didn't enrage you to the same level, but how was it engaging with that interview or just with some of these concepts? Um, yeah, no, I think the whole idea like creating scarcity in the digital world has never helped me at all. Um, as like uh, a geek and a nerd, like I've been very much into these digital spaces my whole life. I was playing World of Warcraft. I was like on Napster and LimeWire, and uh, even like I'm, I'm big into anime. And there wasn't a lot of other than like Toonami when I was coming up. 
there wasn't a lot of access to these things. So the only uh, way you can get into these things was through, you know, digital reproduction, like somehow finding a way somebody's got a link to a site or a torrent and you can get access to these things. And now a lot of it is like, it's, it's honestly like broken video games of like hiding digital assets, like whole parts of the game behind paywalls and being able to play to win. Uh, and yeah, just like, you know, having to like invest massive amounts of money for things that are like literally like just digital reproductions of code, which I think is like one, but it's cool from like a, a creator's perspective, I think in that for a small creator, you can create literally code like a, a digital, like a, a digital piece of art and then, you know, forever make money off of that. And then at that point, it's like, okay, how high of a barrier do you want to make for that? Um, and what is like a accurate representation of like your efforts, but on the back end, when you're talking about like these, what corporations ends up doing is they end up breaking the system so that they can extract more money uh, again with like these paywalls. And then even like thinking of the way that we would get around it back in the days, there would be whole world of Warcraft servers that were like off, not offline, but uh, just recreations of the entire game, uh, like recreating an entire digital world just so that people could have like free and fair access to it. Uh, with the caveat that you still had to buy the original game to then get accesses so that the, the originators could get some money, but we could still enjoy the creation without having these, these stop gaps, right? And what and the other thing is I think as far as the woman is like, oh, we need to have NFTs for your digital furniture. One, I think it's like an effort in futility because we have it. Like one just digital real estate is stupid. Um I have never liked any of the VR games that have come out uh because they just seem like recreating a world that I already live in that I'm like going to play a video game to get out of this world um, or at least take a break from it. So why would I want to go into a, an exact replication where I can also be poor? Um, but on the other hand, I think like at some point we, you know, hope, and maybe not hopefully, but I think there will be a singularity that happens that brings humanity into a digital world uh, I think all this money that they're going to spend in collecting NFTs in their digital world isn't going to be the digital world that we we end up in, right? Hopefully, I mean, it'll probably end up being owned by like Google or Microsoft or something, but hopefully it's like a free and fair digital world. Um, but yeah, like the idea of like coding in scarcity into a digital world is like stupid and it is literally never, again, like in summary, <laughs> It has never helped me any time in my life. And every time that it has been introduced, I've had less access to culture and, and then just had to come up with a way to circumvent it anyway. Yeah, no, I think that there's a way in which this has been a part of capitalism since its beginning, which is sort of this conquest of commons um, and spaces that were collectively administered, run, uh, owned. And the in immense profits that can be reaped from uh, the appropriation of those commons um, has been a, a trend of capitalism, and the and essentially it's a I would say almost a form of uh, old capital colonizing a uncapitalized sphere. And so because because the digital world doesn't have a lot of like a ton of really rich people or uh, organizations whose interest is in keeping it totally free and uh, open for like open source stuff. There's no big guns on the other side. And so you essentially have like one side with all the money and incentive to create a private sphere in this new digital realm, gradually encroaching more and more um, and seizing more and more of the, of that world. And I think that, yeah, I, I think the the part that comes, that comes to me most out of all of these conversations around because in the art world, in the tech world, there's often these sort of like, oh, I found how to solve this massive problem. Um, no, it's not fighting capitalism or like solidarity and community building and building some sort of movement to improve things. It's this new tech change. And tech changes can make people's lives better. It's not that they can't. It's just you're not getting the reason why technology sucks so often isn't because of technology. It's because it's owned and run 
for people with money. Like, because of how capitalism functions, the uh, technology we produce is appropriated by those who already have capital. Um, they have the right to, to buy, use, and then push out others who are using uh, any new technology. And so I think that there's this like, we continue to put off this a solution uh, to our real problem, which is capitalism, or one of our big real problems is capitalism, um, in order to try to find these quick solutions that then become colonized by capitalism um, and by those who already have capital, who don't have our best interests at heart. And I think that that contradiction reaching this point where as our real tangible world uh, stares climate change in the face and really does nothing to avoid that future, we're now creating an imaginary world that not only potentially allows rich people to still be rich in some sort of weird Ayn Randian bullshit, but actively is speeding climate change as it expands. Like I think there's just like this, that capitalism has brought us to this point where in an effort to have rich people, we're so intent on creating these private ownership spheres that we're just hastening the demise of the real planet. Is It's so metaphorical, it would be bad writing if it were a movie. And it just, it reaches an absurdity when I hear, yeah, certain, certain folks talk about it as sort of this like, oh, this new, this, the next technology will fix everything. It's like, no, if the same rich people exist, the same white supremacist people exist, they're going to keep using it in the same ways. And you can't end run around the built capital and power that those folks have. And it just, yeah, there's, that has to be confronted. Eat your local rich person. Eat your local rich person? Yeah. Yeah, that is, don't believe anything Joe Biden says and eat your local rich person. We're developing our uh, our taglines. Should we get into our big finish? Kind of bring us back down to earth from like the capitalism is bad, destroy the empire uh, crescendo that we usually reach. Uh, yeah, wait, how are we going to do that? Uh, oh, is it the is it a bubble? I actually disagree. It is not a bubble. Or maybe my definition of bubble is wrong. But I feel like this isn't a bubble because it's not institutionalized yet. There is, it's kind of currently people are willingly putting in, when we just look at like the NFT market as it is right now, right? Like people are willingly making these things and they're like capitalism has yet to get its like real hold on it. And like, you know, it's not being taxed probably like in any new way, uh, it's kind of being allowed. It's like, it's a free market. It's not a their free market. People are putting up art, setting like maybe a minimum value. It seems to be a lot of auctions and other people are like meeting those prices. And they like, now people have these and then, you know, finding out like the market doesn't or does it, does or doesn't want it, but nothing's being backed by it. There's, there's no backing behind it that keeps it going, right? Like if it fizzles out, it, it, to me, it's not, all-encompassing right so you're kind of saying like a bubble would be like there's maybe a, maybe two kinds of bubbles one bubble is like a kind of like traditional market bubble of just like overvaluing an item but a, maybe a be, like not better but a more uh a more structural way to understand bubbles is like they really get bad when a bunch of people with money steer a bunch of people into a bubble in order to make even more money knowingly sort of inflating like there's sort of like an element of like yeah, that capitalist intent of trying to manufacture a bubble in order to create value for themselves. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly, right? Like NFT, they're on their way and there are some that are there, but even then NFT marketplaces are for people who kind of like are into this, right? Like they understand what they're getting into. Uh, yeah, there's no, when I think of like the student debt bubble and the, the housing bubble, like there is there is a lie in there somewhere that is telling people like you will be okay if you buy into this this lacks that and so i don't think it is a bubble i, I at least not a worrisome bubble i'll say that it might be a bubble I'm, i'll argue that it's not but if it is it's not one that i'm worried about i can take that yeah no I, I would argue it's still a bubble but i can see the differentiation between like a more organic bubble and uh, an informed bubble as opposed to like, if after, you know, like the example of like the housing market where like five years into all these loans, folks suddenly had these high interest rate payments. If five years into an NFT, you suddenly lost your right to display or something like, yeah, there was like something obscure about this, but folks, you're kind of arguing, know what they're getting into. They're making a choice. It might be a bubble, but it's different than like entrapping people in an effort to increase profits by those who already have a lot. And I can see some elements of that argument.
Yeah, I, I think, and just, yeah, to finish up here, I think there's also some pieces of like, is it bad that digital artists are making money? No. <laughs> is it bad that uh, we have a way uh, to digitally verify an item's authenticity? No, like I said, I think there's a lot of benefits potentially that come from like being able to just track an item uh, like a painting that we would no longer need a bunch of um, arguing appraisers. Is it bad that rather than creating a society where we can actually value artists, we're instead expanding a broken system of elite ownership and money laundering into yet another realm of our world? Yeah, that's that's the part that I kind of have a problem with with NFTs. Is there's a sort of like, it'll fix everything. Uh, artists will be able to make money. It's like, well, no, some artists will make money. Kind of like in the current art market where most artists, their value is incredible, is far below what it takes to reproduce themselves. They work day jobs. They move with tons of money or an energy into their own artwork and not be valued at all by the marketplace, or at least certainly not to the $69 million level. And so you're kind of creating the same unequal shitty marketplace that you have been already had in the art world in a new sphere. That's not improvement. That's colonization of a new sphere. Um, and I think that like, yeah, is it even worse that this is perhaps the most energy intensive way to buy and sell things? <laughs> yeah. Also with the, the planet kind of sinking not the best plan to have come up with a new way to essentially just burn money as a way to trade money. Um, and yeah, on, on my end, I think a lot of these things that are supposed to fix problems of capitalism, to fix problems of systemic inequality and historic inequality, because that's capitalism kind of codifies historic inequality into this, these vast fortunes. To try, to try to fix that by changing the method of exchange or act, increasing the number of people who can access the marketplace has never worked. The problem with capitalism isn't that more people don't have access to markets. It's that capitalism is built on the exploitation of labor and the separation or alienation of use values from exchange values. We make things that aren't useful to us in an effort to sell them to people who will, who will value them. And there's good things that can come from that. And there's a lot of bad things that can come from that. And at this point, I think we, can, we might want to start reevaluating and intentionally choosing to produce things that people need as opposed to come up with new imaginary ways to sell people fake bullshit online, <laughs> which is honestly more profitable than giving people healthcare is. And that's like, okay, then fuck profit. Let's figure out a way to do this. Um, we need to, people in the real world need help. We don't need another place for people to have a get rich quick scheme online. And so, yeah, we need a society that, that meets the vast potential of our uh, productive capacity with actual collective ownership and collective administration that meets people's needs as opposed to just getting a couple of people rich. And currently we continue to expand a society that's all about getting a couple of people rich. So NFTs, if you want to make them, make them. If you don't want to make them, don't make them. But please stop acting like they're going to solve all the problems of the art market. They are the art market. <laughs> they're just a new way to do it. Um, and there's there's some new bonuses like Greg, has, uh, Greg and I have said, but there's also a ton of new problems. Uh, so fight capitalism. Don't try to solve things with weird little tech fixes. Big finish. How are you feeling, Greg? Boom. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I feel good. Yeah. I was going to say smart contracts are the future. Um, though Ian doesn't believe we can solve this world with technology. I think we can. We just got to stop, you know, letting, uh, letting rich assholes come in and then be like, oh, you should, here's how you monetize this. The problem with that is that yeah, like all these things are like smart contracts are cool. Making sure that multiple people have access to long-term royalties from their labor is awesome. The problem is that the people who get to decide what's in those contracts will be conditioned by who already has capital, just like everything else under capitalism. And so who can step into that room and dictate the contract doesn't change based on how you write the contract. It changes based on, it changes based on how you, like who has that power walking into the room. And that's that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. It's like, we need to attack that problem. The people with money gets to set the rules as we make new rules. Again, close out. Go eat your local rich person. <laughs> Use locally uh, sourced spices and herbs. Yep. Yeah, no, we, in an effort to fight global warming, please stop traveling to other cities to eat their rich people. You have a rich person in your area. Uh, there are many local herbs and traditional preparation methods that you can connect with. Um, use those. Uh, don't use other people's cultures that you're not connected to. Find your own personal way to eat rich people. Um, don't appropriate, dig into your own past uh, and really find out, yeah, how, how your ancestors killed and ate their rich people.
And let's just, yeah, I think that's, that's a process by which we can all sort of restore our humanity and step into that new world together. God bless. Happy Easter. He is risen. Uh, or if that's not the thing, <laughs> then he's not. Uh, yep. You got anything to plug? Oh, anything to plug? Buy my NFT course uh, where I teach you how to make and sell NFTs. You can hit me up on Twitter at the Greg Hunter, uh, Greg with three Gs, um, or on Instagram at Wolf Hunter without the E. You know, come get some of this money. We'll be waiting on the Greg uh, booty card set on NFT. Uh, on <laughs> Don't NFT keep that one in um yeah i don't have too much to plug uh, i think i plugged it in the last episode but check out my artwork at match it ian m-a-t-c-h-e-t-t-i-a-n uh, dot com and if you like it you could buy part of it it's not an nft so it doesn't cost 64 million dollars or whatever um, or you could buy it turn it into a digital asset and sell, resell it as an nft yeah which you can all learn about in my class yeah, fuck me over to prove Greg right. I think that's the best route and best lesson you could have learned from this podcast. And that's really the essence of capitalism is, yeah, fucking over people who make things. Um, well, cool. Thanks for joining us again, Greg. I don't have a good sign-off line. I don't like Joe Biden. I don't like NFTs. Things I do like are socialism and having a world where the things we make are shared equally according to who needs them. Um Yep, we've had like five sign-off lines that were better than that. I'll probably choose one of those. Bye!